0: nine of the London Calling podcast. If you've ever laughed your way through an episode of Father Ted, The IT Crowd or Black Books, then you have today's guest to thank. Graham Linehan is without a doubt one of the most interesting and innovative television comedy writers of the last 20 years. Having began his career as a film critic at Hot Press Magazine, where he met future Father Ted co-writer Arthur Matthews, Linehan developed a writing style that would cement his place amongst the greats of British comedy. Father Ted has become an Irish institution since its first episode aired on 21st of April 1995 and the IT crowd made a mark of its own as a classic sitcom for a new generation. In recent months, news emerged that Father Ted would be returning in the form of a musical, and according to Graham, it will be the final episode of Father Ted. In an hour-long interview, Graham revealed the details of the upcoming production, cast his mind back to the making of the classic comedy series, and opens up about how getting the all-clear on his cancer diagnosis has given him a different perspective on life. So, Graeme Lennon, welcome to the London Calling podcast, and thanks very much for inviting me into your, your lovely home. Thanks Ryan. I appreciate it. Uh, first of all, we usually start by kind of harking back to the beginning of not just someone's career, but their life. So in that case, I'd like to go back to your upbringing in Dublin and maybe ask you how growing up in Dublin um, informed your sense of humour and maybe fed into the material you went on to kind of form a career around? Uh, well, you know I, I, it's kind
1: of the usual story that you'll hear from most people who get, get into comedy in the sense that um, well, maybe not most but but a good proportion arrived here be, because of being bullied, you know, so yeah. got bullied a lot um, and uh, I realised you know, at around thir- 14, 13, 14 that I could uh, i could diffuse situations by making fun of myself before anyone else did so um i used to uh see how woody allen did it mm-hmm. you know i used to see how bob hope did it and i i thought that that was an attractive way of 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 mining humor which was to to just tell the truth about myself and 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 make fun of myself so that that you know that just became a kind of um Defensive uh, position for me, and uh, yeah, I, I was able to combine that with a, with you know another thing that happens when you're bullied is you is you you withdraw into private worlds, and I re- I withdrew into into reading and, mm. and I read a lot, you know. And as a result, when you come out of all that, you've got you've got a few tools that are are useful if uh, you know if you deploy them correctly, you know. And when you get interested in humor and you realize that you're quite good at it then you start to study um Mm. other people who who uh who do it and you you try and you know take uh you you just try to take certain principles and 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 uh best practices from them and apply them to your own work and and uh yeah I used to read Clive James who was very funny a very funny tv uh reviewer and I used to read his stuff uh and then I would you know when I got a job as a journalist i i would I would read lots of Clive James and then I would start writing mm-hmm. because I wanted his you know wit to kind of absorb uh, to to absorb his wit and his way of starting a sentence and and all that stuff you know and and you know through all this eventually, I kind of settled on a style that was more me
0: mm-hmm. so when you were writing for hot press, you were doing music and film reviews primarily, yes. so was there a comedic uh Kind of nature to to your writing, even then.
1: Oh yeah, God, I was, Indeed. I
0: was, it was all. I I did one film review that
1: was just the word shite. <laughs> you know, what was the movie? I can't remember. <laughs> I did, I did go. Through, I was a film critic at a time when films were really bad. You know, yeah. they were. I remember this it was, would have been
0: eighties, like,
1: yeah, no. uh, 90s? Yeah, late late eighties, early nineties, and uh, films were, you know. The, it really got if you if you love films, you gotta be careful about becoming a critic because I would see I at first I thought, Oh, this is heaven on earth. Yeah. But after seeing three films a week for, for months and months and months I realised it's a bit of a poison chalice, you know, mm. because you see so much trash, you know. But um but the good thing about it was it, it you know, every three films meant I'd have to write three pieces and and, and you know, um I, I I I I kind of learned how to write a little late because in the early days I would write one sentence and then rewrite that sentence and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and then I'd I'd write a paragraph. Then I'd move on to the next paragraph. Mm. If the start of the next paragraph wasn't good, I'd have to tear up the paper, go back to the start, Mm. rewrite the first paragraph, get to the second paragraph. Uh, And then I would do that again and again and again and again. And I didn't realise that the better way to do it is to just write a load of crap. At first, and then and then go through it again and see what you want to say, and then start writing properly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah. But in a, in a sense, this thing of rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, because uh, this was the days of typewriters. Yeah. Um, this was kind of it. It kind of built a muscle in me. You know, um, I, it, it worked. It worked a muscle out in me that that kind of uh, got stronger and stronger until. You know, um, I still find it difficult uh, uh, writing uh, prose, um, but not as difficult as I used to. You know. mm. I, I enjoy it a bit more now because I, because I try and write that shitty, <coughs> excuse me, shitty first draft, yeah, you know,
0: get that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah.: Exactly. And a, a common theme amongst um, guests in the previous episodes of the podcast has been relationships and people coming into contact with the right people at the right time. Yeah, and definitely Press, happened for me. Yeah, that certainly happened for you um, with regard to Arthur Matthews. Did you guys Yes, but even came? even before that, Damien
1: Corliss, who who I was studying journalism in a in a, I was studying communications in a in a school, and um, Damien Corliss, who worked for Hot Press, came in uh, one day speaking to the journalism students, mm. and I went up to him and I told him a flat out lie, which was that I I got a few reviews at home. Would you like to see them? And, and he said, yes. And then I went home and I wrote them. I brought them in the next day. And that's how I got into press. So that was the first bit of luck. Yeah. The second bit of luck, as you say, yeah, was meeting Arthur um, Matthews, who was doing the art layout, and Paul Woodful, um, who were both extremely funny um, people who... Uh, and, you know, a lot of others were there as well. George Byrne, Liam Fay, uh, Declan Lynch. These were all really funny people. And for the first time in my life they were laughing with me. They, they kind of enjoyed my company. Um, whereas up until that point, no one really did. And, and the effect of, uh, uh, having people who are like 10 years older than me, finding me funny was Mm. hugely, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was really nice. Is that the validation you'd been looking for? Yeah, definitely. So I spent a lot of time in the, in the hot press, in the, in the pub, which was the international bar downstairs. And, yeah. and, uh, again, another thing that happened, cause it was kind of like a weird, I mean, you know, it was pub society, but it was cafe society in the sense that I was surrounded by people who they would have balked at being called intellectuals, but that's what they were. They were intellectuals. They were clever, uh, thoughtful people who, mm-hmm. um, would expound on, uh, on uh, theories that they believed in, either comic ones or or serious ones, and you know it was just a really healthy environment to be. Um, and then you know I discovered. I mean, I actually didn't read hot press. Uh, I was I was a big enemy man, and melody maker man, mm-hmm. which you'll see if you read my incredibly pretentious music reviews from <laughs> that no time. But but um, but the thing I didn't know was that. Every Christmas, Arthur did The Border Fascist, which was this parody of, you know, rural newspaper. And it was so funny. It was really, really funny. And it was also the kind of humor that um, I instinctively just loved. And it wasn't just good. It was it was impeccably good. It was perfect. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I always tell the story about Arthur. You know, we were the moment I fell in love with Arthur was very early on. We were coming down the hot press stairs and he fell down the stairs on purpose, you know, to get a laugh. And he fell really slowly with a confused look on his face. And it was one of the funniest things. No warning? No warning. Just did it. And I had to sit down on the step to to, to stop laughing, you know. Um, and, and I remembered a flood of endorphins going through my body when I saw that, you know, and, and I think it was something... Into love, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I've always, I've always, um, yeah. So, so one thing that drove Ted eventually was me trying to please Arthur, mm-hmm. who is the funniest one of the funniest men I've ever met. You know, mm-hmm. probably the funniest man I've
0: ever met to this day still. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you moved to London a little while after that. Um, why, mm. why London? Why make the move over here? Was a part of a kind of a an ambition to to go further than you could maybe in Dublin or yeah
1: dublin had begun to feel a bit small uh, uh, and i was also still very ambitious in terms of the journalism i wanted to i wanted to write for the enemy i thought writing for the enemy would would, would 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 this is how naive i was would be the end of every all my problems you know that would mean i had a career what i didn't know was how little money you make mm. doing these things i mean we we were living, you know, basically. But but what happened was, sorry, I'll, I'll I'll say the earlier bit. When I went over, select, I worked for Select magazine, and they on the first day I arrived, they had this memo that everyone had to read that said you're not allowed to use the word I in any of your pieces, and that just killed my whole style. My my style was to center myself uh, in a review or a film or whatever talk about my personal reactions to it and make fun of them mm-hmm. so that was just kind of gone gone for me you know so I had to try and develop a discipline uh where I would say the reporting was more like you would see in Q magazine where it was more neutral mm-hmm. more kind of balanced uh in terms of you know, you weren't you weren't really supposed to inject yourself into the piece, but that kind of Gonzo journalism was always what I loved most, you know, and and um, and it was what I wanted to emulate. So I wasn't making any money, I wasn't getting any pieces. I was I was writing a fair bit, but but still not enough to make a good living on. So I found up author one day, and I said, or or when it was when I was back, maybe I'm not sure, and I just said, "Would well, do you want to come to London and just try writing comedy?" Because we'd done a bit on stage. I forgot to say this bit we had done a bit on stage with um Paul woodfall uh as a comedy trio called the Fun Bunch, I think we were called yeah. and um uh and you know we just kind of did a few sketches uh, I'll show you a photograph of me of me and Arthur pretending to be in the famine upstairs um and we did a few sketches and um and it was uh you know we we kind of realized, oh, we can write these little scenes we know how to do it, you know. So, when I got to England, I just, after being unsatisfied with the journalism, I just said, Do you want to give this a go? Because, you know, other people can do it. Why can't we? Mm. So, brought him over. So, he came over. We, we got a flat together, um, which I'm sure was harder on him than it was on me. And, um, you know, whereabouts was the flat? First flat was, I think, in Bounds Green, which is very north, I think, central north. I can't remember. Bounds Green, anyway. Uh, and then we, then we had a huge piece, another huge piece of luck. As you were saying, all these, all these bits of luck. But when we started writing for Smith & Jones, after struggling for a while, that it was our first big break, um, we, we just happened to ask Griff if he owned any properties in London that he'd like to rent out. And he did. So he gave us this property that he lived in when he'd first come to, 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 to London. And it was like, it was nothing. The rent was nothing. For like, and we lived there for about three or four years, and that gave us a kind of lovely, relaxed way of of writing sketches without worrying about money and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And we just really, you know, it 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 worked out great. You know, Ernest Jones was your landlord, so Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he tells the story of coming back to the flat after I moved out, and it was a pile of
0: pizza boxes the size of me. So I'm sure that's true. <laughs> And when did um skipping ahead a small bit now, but mm-hmm. you mentioned Arthur had come over at this stage and you guys had been living together in London. And uh, when did the the seed of the idea for for a, a show about a rural uh, priest in Ireland start to germinate in your
1: heads? Well, we Arthur used to do Father Ted as a stand up character, okay. and uh, I always loved it. I always just thought it was so funny. Uh, he used to have jokes like uh, he'd say to the crowd, "If there's anyone at the back who can't see." Say hello to them. They're from St. Kevin's School for the Blind. <laughs> and uh, he, would say, he would say things like that. And, and, and some audiences didn't know what to make of him. And uh, I would go nuts at those audiences. I'd, I'd be shouting at people to shut up, you know. But, but most, um, most people saw what he was up to and really loved it, you know. And his version of Ted was very soft-spoken, uh, much more like this, and oh God, now I was talking to Father Park the other saying, he said a very funny thing to me he you know it was that type of it was slightly camp a little yeah. bit it was it, it had a a lovely uh, light air to it you know and 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 through him doing the character we 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 learned we really kind of instinctively knew several things about Ted. we knew that he wouldn 't use bad language most of the time. Uh, we knew that he was uh, he 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 would be very embarrassed if anyone spoke to him about religion. you know it was always very e- he was always very eager to not talk about religion and a bunch of other things that just really felt natural to the character you know so so we 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 were big fans of spinal tap and we 'd just seen it and we, and I think just seen it no it was it was a few years old at that stage but but we had it in our heads that writing a documentary would be cheaper than than doing a sitcom. So we wrote uh, a a proposal for a show called Irish Lives which mm-hmm. which took one character every week and followed them and one of the the only one we wrote was Ted and it was about Ted going back to his old parishes and meeting um meeting priests who he knew and 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 housekeepers and stuff like this and and he's trying to get a picture of Ireland you know through the eyes of priests but but they, they, there's all sorts of things wrong with each person he comes to, one of whom, like he comes into one room one of the priests is dead, you know, and, and he tries to get a conversation out of him, will not believe it when someone says he's dead, and that became Father Jack, you know, because oh. in the sixth episode Jack dies and we use that scene and that was the first thing, idea we had about Jack. So when people would say, oh, Jack doesn't say a lot, we'd say, well, you should have seen him at the start. He was, <laughs> he was dead. But 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 um, but then we also realized we needed a, a we needed a, a kind of Laurel and Hardy type relationship. We needed Ted to have someone to speak to. And that kind of gave us the idea of Dougal. Oh, but, but, sorry, I've skipped ahead. But Dougal, Dougal wasn't in that documentary, that original documentary, but Mrs. Doyle was. We had the scene of the offering of the tea and not mm. taking no for an answer. So that character who was just named as a housekeeper, who you only see for a second, that became Mrs. Doyle. Um, and uh, and yeah, and so what happened was we got this documentary, we, send it to, we sent it into Channel 4, and Channel 4 came back to us, or maybe it was Jeffrey Perkins who's worked in Hat Trick, but someone came back to us anyway and said, well, no, we, we, need, we want to sickle him. And we never thought we'd ever get a sitcom with Irish characters. We didn't think that was possible. Yeah. So we were just stunned, you know. And, and, and they pointed out, they don't want a documentary that every week you come back to a new person, you have to fall in love with them over and over again. They want a character who will sustain and you will fall in love with over the course of a series and then two series and then three series. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, that does make sense. So... We went. We went away. We rethought of it as a, a sitcom. We invented Dougal, um, you know. And it just kind of. We wrote the first episode. The first one we wrote was actually the one about Jack dying. So we wrote the one where Jack is in the crypt and they're staying together, and and that that allowed because those, there were lots of scenes of just them talking. That really allowed us to figure out what their relationship was, you know, and um, and then we we went back wrote episode one. And so on, and and you know, and I, I, we we at first we handed in some pages because we weirdly thought they that's what all they wanted, and they said no, can we see a sitcom? Can we see an episode? So we wrote the episode, and they immediately said yes. It was one of the fastest yeses we've we've ever got, you know. But um but that was that. This is, I and mean, still, the other amazing thing that happened here is we we'd actually this was our second sitcom. We had one on. Called Paris. That was a huge flop, and the fact that Channel Four took a chance on us after Paris failed so miserably was was brilliant. You know, we really got away with uh, we really got away with murder there because mm-hmm. you know most sitcoms. We had to avoid reading any press for six weeks when Paris was on because it was so depressing. You know, the bad reviews. But basically, Paris was useful because we learned how not to write a sitcom with Paris, and then when we got to Ted, we knew
0: exactly what we had to do. Yeah. And you mentioned that characters like Mrs. Doyle and, and maybe Dougal weren't in the original kind of incarnation of this show. Mrs. Doyle was in only in the sense of that housekeeper. That yeah. Spoke about. We hadn't named her Mrs. Doyle yet. So when you had cast uh, Pauline McLean and then Ardle for Dougal, did that kind of further the, d- the development of those characters? Sure. Having yeah. such perfect kind of. Yeah, fits absolutely. For those roles?
1: Um, we. Uh, uh, Dougal. Ardle, we we wanted immediately. As soon as we saw Ardle, we said, he's Dougal. Yeah. You know, he's just perfect. And we just. Uh, wrote everything, everything from the first moment with ardle in mind. As soon as he became available, uh, Dermot. Dermot was was. I, I wasn't. I wasn't so sure about Dermot originally. Um, uh, his, his style of humour was a bit was a bit more satirical than I really knew. I didn't really know what he was joking about because I, I didn't really have an interest in Irish politics and mm. football and stuff like that. But th- that was stuff that Dermot really loved. Um, so I was a bit unsure, but Dermot, you know, just through his enthusiasm and just through his kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, persistence about it, you know, I kind of, I kind of eventually gave in and, and, and I also saw that there was aspects that Dermot brought to Ted, a kind of ambition and, and uh, eagerness that I mm-hmm. thought was actually really suited the character as well. So, um, so then, and then the one that we had trouble yeah. Frank, we found through casting, uh, he was just perfect immediately and 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 lovely about it. Even though he, was, I think he was a bit bemused by the whole thing until series two. Really? He, yeah, he realized how good it was after series one went out. Then he thought, "Oh, okay, I see it now," and he was so happy. Then after that, he would fight for every every precious bit of Jack business he had. He would yeah. he would really really work on it, you know. Um, but Pauline was one of the latest. We had kind of given up. We couldn't find a good one, um, uh, and then we got a, a a video in because it was days of video, and it was Pauline's audition tape, and she was just perfect from the from the off. You yeah. know, she was fantastic. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of yeah, that's how it that happened. Yeah. And yeah, they would inform you know once second series much more than the first, because once you'd written the first series you you had them very much in your head when you were writing, yeah. whereas in the first series, I was still writing for authors lilting kind of ted and and I didn't know what Ardle would do with certain lines and, and stuff like that, but then on the second series, we knew, and so the second series i don't know, maybe there's an argument the second series is the best one because it was suddenly it was suddenly using using their strengths, you know, like Ardle did one thing in the rehearsal where he said. He said something like, "I can't remember what it was exactly, but something comes in." Ar- Ardle said, "Like we had written the line, who are you?' Uh, who, who are you? You know, which is how i performed that. Who 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 are you?" Yeah. But Ardal went, "Who are you?" <laughs> and it was so funny that and we thought, "Oh yeah, Dougal's Dougal's rude." That's Dougal's, how you would
0: say it. You'd imagine.
1: Well, was, he, he was he, Dougal's kind of unconsciously rude, yeah. and, and 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 you know, as soon as we realised that, we wrote loads of moments for him to be rude you know for yeah. him to
0: say things hello Len and stuff you know so and when you look back now and reflect on the show um, obviously we see the finished product on on screen but mm. to to be working on that set with those people and at a time like first of all what are your kind of fond memories of it now and secondly did you have any expectation as you were going through the first se- series of I mean you mentioned that Frank for example didn't really mm. know what what the kind of deal was but um, you guys you and Arthur did you kind of think I think we're onto something really Oh, I was I
1: I believed in it from the start because because like Arthur and I, we were we were so used to seeing on TV programs where you, there would be lines that would receive laughs from the studio audience, and we would be like, "Well, what are they laughing? At? That's not funny." Mm. And and we knew that we were writing funny stuff. You know, it was funny. It, we just knew it. It, it it would make us laugh and if it makes you laugh then it's funny yeah. you know it was just we would see things and just think who who did this make laugh what what writer wrote this and thought it was funny you know yeah. um so we were always very confident you know but then again we were confident with paris as well but we were very confident with ted because we we learned from our mistakes and we and we thought you know we have got some personable actors we've got some funny scenes and the stories make sense and are clear you know, and then Jeffrey Perkins gave us our secret weapon because Jeffrey Perkins, the producer, he had a big heart, I think, and he um, he gave Ted uh, a kind of warmth that it it wouldn't otherwise have had. Like we we always wanted to totally reject any cliches about Ireland, like like um, like uh, shots of green fields and stuff like that. Mm. But then it became the title sequence, you know, because Jeffrey said it's just lovely. You've just got to got to stay and then and we're like, okay, you know, but can the helicopter crash at the end? <laughs> we're like, Yeah, okay, you know, so you know, but he gave it so but then you watch it now and you get that lovely warm feeling when you start and then the, yeah. the crash happens and it's you're in. So so also, you know, he picked the house. We were looking at houses, uh photographs of houses and um he uh we were going that one, I don't know, this one. We didn't care. We just cared about the jokes, you know? Mm. And and uh, Jeffrey was like, "No, no, 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 no," you know, and he was going through and going through, and then he went this one, you know, and and it was the parochial house, you know, yeah. and it was so perfect immediately because it looked like a big drawing of a house, yeah, like a kid, so standalone too, yes, you know, yeah, yeah perfectly on its own, kids' drawing of a house, and we were like, "Oh yeah, of course, that's that's just great." And the other the other story that I always tell about Jeffrey is that he uh, there were two choices of. Theme song from Neil Hannon. One was um, the the one you hear, yeah. um, and the other was uh, a song that later became a song of his called "A Woman of the World," I think, which was kind of, you know, jokey and 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 it had a whistling bit. We wanted that one because we thought it we thought it was more of a parody of 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 uh, theme songs. You know, we said, "Oh no." We said, to Jeffrey, we want to make fun of sitcoms. You know, we want to make fun of sitcoms. We don't want, we want, we want the song that makes fun of them. And Jeffrey looked really sad, and he said, he said, people will come to love these characters. Why do you want to make fun of them? And that was another eye-opening moment for me because I suddenly realised, like, if you look back, for instance, at the young ones, the the the, the bits of that show that everyone remembers is not surreal, crazy. The bits that everyone remembers are the character bits. The bits where the where the where the characters are doing characterful stuff like like Rick opening the woman's bag and taking out a tampon and not knowing what it is and stuff like this. This this is all all this is the stuff that lasts. And thank God we had Jeffrey there to suppress our more I guess Dadaist uh leanings and, mm. and pull us back into something that was you know had real emotions and, and
0: and and warmth you know yeah so after that it was kind of the end of your for for, for that for the time being was the end of your professional uh relationship working with, with
1: yeah we, we had a few other things we did big train yeah together and we did uh i started to work on a show called hippies but uh i didn't connect with the material Arthur was working on that too right yeah he wrote that in the end i okay. didn't i didn't write it I, I i didn't connect with it um but but we kind of drifted apart a little bit. He he went on to do series two of Big Train, and I didn't really want to do another series of it. I don't know why. I th- I just felt it was very exhausting, and I was done with it. So he did that, and I went on to um, uh, to do Black
0: Books with Dylan Moore. That's right. What was the, working with Dylan like coming off the back of working with with Arthur? Because I mean, Dylan is primarily kind of regarded and known for his stand up. Yeah, know? and so. Was it a different kind of a? Um...
1: Yeah, it was. It was very good in the writing phase. We had a really nice time writing it together. Yeah. it was a lot of fun. But it kind of didn't. It wasn't as much fun in the uh, rehearsal phase, and that's why I didn't do a second series. Yeah, I had to. I had to get out of there. But uh, but the the but the you know it was it was it was fun
0: until that point. <laughs> yeah. When you look back at it now, do you kind of wish it had a bit more of a? of a reception and a bit more um, of a run you know black books well it's, no because it's got it a cult kind of a following yeah novel, yeah sense, it just
1: it? didn't end very it, w- it was just very frustrating basically here's my here's my thing if i if i'm not enjoying myself working on something i just walk away yeah you know and you know they did a second and third series without me uh, i i haven't seen it but you know i'm sure it's 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 fine but 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 like you know for me for me i i just need to because you're you, you know when you're working on a show and you're trying to make it as good as you can you really do live breathe drink eat and sleep the show everything is you wake up in the morning thinking about it you shower you worry about it you think oh is this seem to go on too long or, or 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 is this actor unbalancing it is this you know there's so many so many questions so you have to be invested so when when circumstances uh are arranged so that you can't do that or you're not being appreciated in, in, in doing that, you know, mm-hmm. then, you know, it, it, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. And, and I don't, I, I don't have a thing where I I don't write something and just think, well, I've written it, there it is, I'll hand it in and, and it'll be great. I don't have to, I don't trust that process at all. I don't think it works like that because I think, um, uh I've because I've been burned so many times by that by handing in a script and seeing it just completely misunderstood or, or, or ruined. So I I am on every aspect of it, from from um, you know, writing to casting to editing to the dub, you know, I do everything and you know, it's the only way I can do it, you know, because if I don't, uh, you know, Every joke, to, basically, here's the thing. If you write 100% great jokes, which you never will, but let's say you do, uh, when you film it, it will come out at about 70%. Mm. It'll be 70 or if you're lucky, 70%. It gets filtered down. It, it compromises, all sorts of things happen that mean that the show is not quite, quite as good as you had it when, you were, when it was in your head. Yeah. But if you hand it to someone, and if you don't kind of pay attention and be involved in the process, then you'll be very lucky if it even gets up to 50%, you know. So so I, I tend to, um, uh, you know, invest myself in it and I tend to rewrite a lot. And I I, I, I need, you know, it has to be perfect because if, if it's perfect for you, then by the time it goes out, it'll be nearly perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or of
0: course, as I say, 70% there. And you had that with IT Crowd because you wrote it, you directed it, and you were involved in, in pretty much the entire thing. Yeah, but that was, that. funnily enough, that led to
1: an opposite problem, which was, I mean, really, on, on IT Crowd, the actors were my collaborators. And yeah. that, that was nice because, you know, they trusted me for the most part, and um, they definitely added to it. There were there were comic moments I wouldn't have had without them. So, you know, between the four, and they were all funny people, so between the four of us, one, two, three, four, five of us, um, uh we we were like this big comic brain coming mm. up with stuff and that was useful but on the other hand um, it was a lot of work for me it was really exhausting and um, did you have something to prove by writing it yeah, to yourself or even yeah, to other people yeah and I shouldn't have that? been like that I, I, I should have been more the, the what I should have done is I should have looked for a collaborator and I should have said look I'm the boss but I'd love you to help and I'd love you know I'll have veto mm. but but I really want your voice in on this and I don't want you know what i mean if if that if if I'd done that, I would have taken a bit of the pressure off myself. I would have been able to um uh you know direct it while things were being written, but I was literally you know I was directing in the morning, then I was going home rewriting that script next week's script. it was really tough, really, really tough and you know, it was only because, luckily, I was young, you know, so I had the energy for it. But I wouldn't be able to do that again. Yeah. I'll
0: never do that again. And you were lucky, you have been lucky many times to work with people who have gone on to, you know, um, do great things and, and have kind of international success. Chris being a, Chris O'Dowd being a prime example of that. Yeah. When you meet people like that, and the same probably goes for other people, um, just Chris is a, is a very good example. When you meet people like Chris, um, do you instantly kind of think, you know, or even through the initial process of working with them think, this fella's got something about him like this fun to go on to oh yeah you know that's why
1: they end up in it you know cuz like i mean the thing with chris was i didn't want the main character to be irish you know yeah. cuz i just thought i don't want people to think i'm i'm always going to have one irish character and a bunch of other, other people around it, you know um and uh and uh but then chris came in and he was so good that i thought i'm going to be in front of the race relations board, if I don't hire Chris, because he's obviously the best man for the job. Yeah. So, so I, so I got him in, and I rethought the character is Irish, and you know it was fine. You know, I mean, the good thing is we never really discuss his Irishness; it's just a given. Yeah. Which is,
0: which is, which, which I personally like to do. And he's got such a str- like a distinctly strong Irish accent, Chris does. Yes, that's the thing. I mean,
1: what that's what I'm I'm, that's him. what is, astonishes me about Chris that that he's such a star. And yet he's got this really thick Irish accent. That's like wow. I mean, that's how good he is that he's been able to, to, to work so much. He, he, you know, despite being as Irish as I, <laughs> I don't know. I can't finish that. euphemism. Yeah, or, or uh, that that uh, that joke. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's 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 um, he's he's a he's a really really good actor. He's a, such a. A strong actor. He, I, I remember, he, I think he was even a little bit insulted when I called him a brilliant comic actor. You know? But brilliant. he is. But, you know, I think he was a little bit, well, no, I'm just an actor, you know. it's like, oh, okay. But yeah. still, you are brilliant. He is a brilliant comic actor.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I watched recently the documentary uh, Funny Business from RT, oh, yeah, which uh, was centered around, actually, when you were making the IT Crow. And yeah. Arthur said in that, he said, um, maybe you don't get the credit you deserve from... Back in Ireland, and that he also said that um, you know poets seem to have a, a lot of currency in Ireland. Some deserve it, maybe some don't. And he kind of he laughed at that. Um, does it matter to you to be regarded highly, like in the lexicon of like Irish creatives and and writers? And, and do we appreciate like com- comedy as much as we do other art forms? I suppose. Well, Woody Allen said that you know uh,
1: comedy writers and comedians sit at the children's table, you know, oh. and then, and I think there's a, there's an element of truth to that, but. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. It doesn't bother me. It used to bother me, definitely. Um, uh, you know, yeah, it used to annoy me, but it doesn't anymore. Recently, I think with having a family and stuff, and also having <coughs> having put some of my more ego driven stuff to bed, like mm. doing IT crowd on my own and stuff like that, I've become a lot more relaxed about that type of thing. You know, in fact, you know, here, I mean i keep getting invited to the irish embassy you know and i don't really want to go you know not because of anything against the irish embassy <laughs> but i just i just i just feel awkward when i'm being you know treated like i don't know it's hard it's hard to explain you know maybe i'd be insulted if, if i knew i wasn't being invited <laughs> but but i don't know i feel weird about it i don't i don't know why. Maybe it's because I've I've got a terror of awkward situations and I feel like there's gonna be a few there, you know. But yeah. but but, you know, I don't know, it's it's a weird one. I mean I I'll tell you one thing. I'm I'm really looking forward to writing um to getting the Pope Ted musical going because because I I I know it's very good. It's it's one of those ones that I'm just you know, I <clears throat> the reason we didn't do it until now is because I didn't have a good idea. But I always thought a TED musical might work. I always thought, you know, there's something about TED that lends itself to... There's something about studio sitcoms that lend themselves to the world of musical comedy. In Mm. fact, you'll find a lot of musical comedy type people end up in sitcoms. Nathan Lane, for instance, you know, he he was in a very funny sitcom about an opera singer. Uh, You know, it's just... It's just if you have that stagecraft, because you're working in front of an audience... If you have that stagecraft, it it really helps in yeah. a studio sitcom. But um, so so also knowing how audiences react and knowing knowing when they'll lose interest and when they'll when they'll when they'll won't get a joke and stuff like that that really helps in writing for theater. You know, so you know I'm kind of looking forward to getting it getting it out because you know. It's going to be seen as a cash-in, you know, but then it's going to come out and I think we're just going to
0: knock people's socks off, you know, because yeah. it's um, so fucking good. What's the timeline uh, on that, you know, if you were to estimate maybe sometime I'd next say,
1: if w- w- be- we're lucky next year, but I'd say realistically you're talking about, about two years
0: maybe. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, um... You're back working with, with Arthur on that yeah. as well. That must be must be fun.
1: Yeah, it is fun. Uh, we're also working with Paul Woodful <coughs> for the first time, which is great. And also, of course, Neil Hannon, who's providing some amazing songs. Paul is too, but but they both between them. Oh man, the songs are so great.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but um, uh, but yeah, it's nice working with Arthur. I mean, Arthur Arthur, you know, he took a little bit of convincing. Uh, I mean, when he heard the idea, he was totally on board, but, but up until that point, he was just a bit nervous about it. He thought it would be like cashing in and stuff like that, you know, but, and I kind of agreed, you know, we, 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 I knew we needed something special, you know? So, so, uh, so then I saw a little, a little YouTube video on how to become Pope and I thought, oh, that's the structure, you know, that's the structure, becoming a bishop, then a cardinal, then, then Pope, you know? And then thinking, how, would you, how could you accelerate that process? Yeah, How could you accelerate that process so that it's so fast that Ted could become Pope? And, and, and also thinking about, about Donald Trump and Jeremy Corbyn, and all these unlikely people who rise to positions of power, um, I thought, perfect time for it
0: perfect time for it so so yeah so that's how it came about I guess and um, so I know you probably can't reveal too much about it but are a lot of the characters remaining in the musical and that were in the same core cast but the way I the way I
1: would really think about it is that it's the last episode of Ted you have said that yeah the final episode of Father Ted yeah um Mm. yeah so it's going to have new characters Maybe a couple of old ones. I mean we I, I always I always try and avoid fan service. But if you look at things like Star the recent Star Wars, you know, I loved, for instance, Last Jedi until the Millennium Falcon turned up. Mm. I just kinda of thought, oh, this is box, you know, like what's the Millennium Falcon doing here, you know? Um you know, you're supposed to be in space and it's just hanging around on this planet you know <clears throat> and and then you know han solo having a, having a relation with princess leia it's like because they're old they don't even get to kiss they he has to kiss kiss her on the forehead so it's like it's like no this is don't do this just create a new star wars for a new generation and stuff and that's kind of similar thinking to this it's like we want to create a ted that's like that doesn't make people think oh great it's all the old characters we want people to think oh great did you see those new characteristics we want to play new songs and 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 have new moments and you know we want to create like our 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 amb- ambition is to create a whole musical made up of songs as catchy and loved as my lovely horse yeah we don't want to just play my lovely horse in the musical do you yeah. know what i mean
0: yeah i think i do cuz i've heard you say before as well that you want to give people what they don't realise they want. That's kind of exactly like that. it, yeah. they only know when they sit there in that theatre. The, that, that's, that's it, and that's why I hate sequels
1: and I hate fan service. You know, for me, the reason people love things is because the first time they saw them, their brain just, a, a new compartment opened in, the, in their brain where they just kind of thought, I did not realise I, I, I would love this ridiculous thing so much. Yeah, And, and that's the that's the challenge, you know, you got to come up with new stuff, you yeah. know. I guess Don't, that was the
0: original thing that happened with Father Ted, you know, people, did, there was nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. And then you gave that to people. Yeah, it's oh. like, uh, and, it's, and it's
1: also a reason why, you know, se- second series and third series, you often get people saying, yeah, it's not as good as it used to be. I, I saw this happen with the Arcade Fire albums you know the first one yeah. was such a new sound and such a new sensibility that people were it's just blown new. away yeah. Yeah. yeah but then the second album came out it's oh, not as good as the first yeah it is it's fucking perfect it's just that you're used to it
0: you yeah. know you want that feeling again
1: you want person. that feeling again and you're never going to get it so it's it's um, so 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 if you do something like Ted I think the very worst thing you could do is is just you know to, to use my my uh, my comparison re-record funeral you know yeah. you gotta you gotta do something new you gotta do your neon bible or
0: whatever yeah Um we often find when bands do kind of um, on their second third and fourth album take a different sound or a different route they lose some of that core fan base yes that's just kind of like the the kind of the forfeit you know you, yes. you have to accept Very that true and is that the case with, with this musical you know, you're kind of going look There'll be people who are going to love it, and then there's going to be people who love Father Ted who just won't. I don't screen.
1: think it's going to happen because I think the new format—you know—the fact that it's a musical. We're going to yeah. have it's not just going to be Mrs. Doyle; it's a Mrs. Doyle who can sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a Ted who can sing. Um, but the other—I'll the, tell you what—the big thing, the big change, is going to be that is um, uh, that's going to be really that's really going to be the thing that makes it worth watching. <clears throat> is that, you know, if you write a half-hour sitcom, you just have to get the characters back into the place they started. Mm. You know, they start off they start off in a certain way, they have an adventure, and then they're back next week. They start off in that same way again. But with a film or a musical or anything that's like longer than half an hour, that will not return, that's a single experience, yeah. the characters have to change. So you have to start with Ted in a certain mindset, and he has to be in a different... Place at the end, and it's the same with all of them, mm. um, and that's working out really well.
0: Uh, and you mentioned the uh, big train, which was the 1999 uh, sketch. Yeah, you did. Um, just to mention another contemporary, Ricky Gervais has said that that served as some sort of an inspiration for for The Office for him. Mm-hmm. Are you are you comfortable with kind of maybe being seen, or at least your work being seen as an inspiration to sure, other right. comics? Yeah,
1: it's really nice. Yeah. It's really nice. Although Ricky went on a blog and said when, when <laughs> there's me turning into Ted and, said, and when i t crowd won an award, he said, best of a bad lot, really <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you know, fuck him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, you know, there you go, there's my resentment coming out, my, <laughs> my real personality um but you know the, the the yeah that's that's always been one of the best things about this is that people I admire uh know who I am and like my, like my stuff, you know yeah. When Vic and Bob, when we first met Vic and Bob, I mean, we were huge Vic and Bob fans. Mm-hmm. And they, like Ted, it was like a dream, you know, a dream come true for us, you know. And working on, on with Chris Morris, you know, we, we just thought he, he and Armando Unity were gods, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all been lovely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you That aspect, I mean, yeah. it's been lovely you live in Norwich now you used to live in in London was that a yep. big breath of fresh air when you came over here and got out of the rat race
1: <coughs> yeah it wasn't it was and it wasn't i mean it's it's you know it's so pretty around here we do we do love it but i don't know sometimes sometimes it, the i don't know i mean then then you go back to london and it's like oh, london's just a bit too intense mm-hmm. i don't know it's weird i don't know how i feel <coughs> we might. Be, we're kind of hoping the question is taken away from us, and we can go to the states for a while and do some work over there. You know, so yeah. So you know that'll at least be a change. I quite like changing things up every so often. You yeah, know? we've been here for about five six years now, so you know, uh, I think
0: it's about time we do you we get back. Something. Do you get back to Ireland much? And when you do, what well, what are the things that you kind of look forward to about getting home? Um.
1: Well, I don't know. Ireland's a bit weird for me because. Um, all my friends who I used to know—I knew when I was about eighteen—and and because they were ten years older than me, their lives were very different, you know. So, so mm-hmm. when I got back, those kind of meetups and stuff would dwindle away and dwindle away, and and uh, you know, it's it's just a weird place for me now. It's not 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 as um, you know. And sometimes I go out. And it's, like, it's like we went to this restaurant. Everyone's wearing furs and stuff. It's like, what the Fuck is going on. You know, so so sometimes I, I I I don't know there's certain aspects of of Dublin I'm, I'm not fond of. You know,
0: yeah, it's becoming very gentrified and kind of uh, there's a yeah you know twenty thirty donut shops around Dublin now. You know, it's kind of maybe it's lost some of the character that used to be an appeal for me at least. Yeah, but yeah. I I guess
1: that's true of everywhere in a way. London's yeah. like that. And the problem is most cities <coughs> are now becoming unaffordable for you know. Uh, young artists and musicians and so on, and 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 I think that that's when a city kind of dies. Yeah, bit. you know, it's you need you need cheap rent, you yeah. know, for a place to be a real place. <laughs> yeah, Berlin is is a good example. Although I believe that's changing now, as Julian Goff points out.
0: Mm. Uh, you're quite active on Twitter.
1: <laughs> uh, <which laughs> might be, a, you might be an understatement.
0: Um, yeah. Does that? do your exchanges on that and, and kind of the bit of fun that I guess you call it you have on that feed into any of your material um,
1: uh, your... yeah I wrote a joke the other day for the TED musical that was slightly influenced by stuff I've been going <laughs> really? on at the moment but but um, no I try and keep it separate to some extent I, yeah. I, I I mean the thing is basically I've always you know it's kind of weird for me because I'm a, I'm just a comedy writer but I take very I'm very outspoken on certain issues and, and uh, you know I I just don't see the world is is so awful at the moment. I see if you're not protesting it, if you're not political, then I then I think you're kind of collaborating, mm. you know. So I I don't really you know I know I realise certain people just want to keep their Twitter politics free and and they want to just talk like David Williams for instance. He just talks to his fans. You know he's a children's author as well, so you know he has to be he has to be careful. I totally understand that, you know. But there's other people, and I just see, I like I'm thinking of one one person in particular, and and I just see the you know they don't they don't have to be careful in that same way, and they're just comfortable because yeah. their life is not affected by any of these things. They're not black. They're not a woman. They're not an immigrant. So they just think everything's fine, mm-hmm. you know. And I just find when people like Trump are in power and, and the hostile, hostile environment is, is, is in place for, for, for immigrants, then I think, you know, if you're not talking about it, you're complicit.
0: You know, If you're not swimming against the tide, I guess, you are just kind of been swept along with it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And not just being swept along. I mean, you know, you can be swept along with the tide and have absolutely no harm come to you. Yeah. You know, if you're white, middle class... Um, but if you're, if you're, if you're seeing other people being hurt by it and you're not saying anything, then, then what good is being on any of these services? You know, you got to use your service to, to fight against this stuff. You know, at the moment, my big thing is misogyny. I just see, I'm seeing it play out in so many different ways, you know, from the right and the left. And it's, um, I, I already fought against it. You know, when, when it was coming from the right with Gamergate, which I was very involved in, in um, uh, you know, calling out for various things, um, and now it's coming from the left. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to be inconsistent. I'm not going to change my mind. I still yeah. think misogyny is, you know, evil. You know, it's one of the great. It's one of the great, ever present. Original sins of humanity. Women are fucking despised, and and their their sexuality is despised. You know their their fertility is despised. They they go through so much shit. They even have fucking periods every month, and they still get shit from people. And you know, I I I won't stop talking okay. about that. <laughs> Um, I won't drag you into it either because you know, if you talk about it, if we talk if I literally if I say what I'm talking about at the moment, which if you're following me, I'm sure you know, yeah. then you will get shit
0: as well. So, you know, I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> um finally we were obviously very happy in the Irish post a couple months ago to report that, you know, you all clear with the cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And um I was wondering if your attitude and maybe your outlook as it's been a couple of months since then has kind of changed as a result? Only in the sense that I now
1: find, I now hear that I do need to get one spot of chemotherapy, which I thought I was going to avoid. And that's more of a pain in the arse than anything. Luckily it won't lead to anything like hair loss or anything like that. I'm not going to feel great for a few weeks. Mm. And it's just a bit of a, it's just a bit of a, a pain in the arse really just because, um, uh, I, I thought it would just take a few days, but it's going to be about three weeks of feeling a bit shitty. Um, so, you know, that kind of comes into time when I was supposed to be working on the TED musical and, and uh, you know, things like that. So, so you know, it's just a bit of a pain in the arse, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not scared, but I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> imagine know? so. Yeah, it's like the opposite to taking a, a drug. It's like It's like taking a drug that will make you feel terrible, which is a weird... Weird thing to go through, mm. you know, but um
0: but still better than dying, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, sure, yeah,
0: but like i said your your kind of your attitude and your and your like outlook on on the future has that been like um I got a bit I got a bit
1: sentimental when I was going through it, I scared yeah. the hell out of Helen by saying things like, you know, I really enjoyed my life <laughs> and stuff like that, you know um but 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 now you know it's it is just one of those things, um my attitude is kind of i think it's quite steady mm-hmm. in the sense that you know i'm i i'm 50 now so you know my my life is kind of ha- more than halfway over probably you know so so you know that's just one of those things i'm very comfortable with that weirdly mm. you know even even the i mean things like my eyesight going a little bit you know and and weird things going on um uh with my body (laughs) Mm. all that stuff i can i can even take that as far as it's expressed itself so far yeah but natural um, deterioration yeah natural deterioration it kind of i think i think i was warned by that through the um through the you know i know i know he's persona non grata for very valid reasons but um but louis ck his routine about going to the doctor and the doctor saying you want to get this pain fixed and the doctor going, no, that's just, you're going to have that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> there being no fix to it. I think I can really, that was lucky for me that I saw that because I kind of realized when I saw that, oh, okay, that's something to, that's something to bear in mind. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of, waiting for the next one Yeah. You know? well at least you've got something to look forward to it's, it's <laughs> yeah. musical, you know, that's oh sorry i thought you meant <laughs> the deterior, deterioration oh, no. yeah yeah absolutely well as always work is the thing that makes makes everything okay work is really you know once you absorb yourself in work the whole rest of the
0: world goes away you yeah know? that's your solace i guess it is Great. Well, uh, thank you so much for giving all. me so much your time, Graham. And yes. uh, as, as, as I speak for all fans of, of yours and all your work you've done, we're all looking forward to seeing seeing the final yeah. episode of Father Ted, as you call it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, best to look with it.
1: No, thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Brilliant.
0: There you go. We have a Father Ted musical to look forward to. Thanks again to Graham for being a guest on the podcast and for inviting me into his home. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in and joining me again soon for another interview with one of the many Irish people, doing great things here in the UK.